When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome into a new edition of the Patriots Beat Podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network and on Patriots Press Pass. I'm Evan Lazar, joined as always by Alex Barth, and today we are going to take your questions. So ask away in the chat. We'll get the ball rolling here a little bit with some Patriots offensive coordinator search talk, but as we get going here. Please fill the chat with all your Patriots questions from the senior bowl standouts to other draft prospects to free agency, Patriots own free agents, whatever you guys want. It's an agenda free Thursday for you folks. And you can just ask away. You can even ask about Tom Brady. If you want his retirement, I'm kind of over that. I think Alex is also a little bit over discussing that, but we can bring it back there eventually too. Well, the, the, the video this morning was pretty cool. I enjoyed that. That's fair. All right. Let's open with some Patriots OC search discussions. Couple of news items here over the last 24 hours. Yesterday, the Buffalo Bills signed my guy Joe Brady to the coaching staff as the quarterback's coach. So he is off the board. Mike Kafka goes to the New York Giants. As the offensive coordinator, which is a step up in title, I was a little bit surprised that he went someplace where he wasn't going to call plays. But that's besides the point. Another hot name in Kafka off the board for the Patriots. And this morning, Ian Rappaport going on WEEI and saying that he still believes and everybody that he speaks to still believes that the Patriots target for the next offensive coordinator to replace Josh McDaniels will be Bill O'Brien. But Nick Saban did say that he's under the impression that Bill O'Brien's coming back. So still up in the air there with B, uh, with uh, Bob. But I think the biggest thing is is what Rapsheet also said this morning, and as frustrating and as annoying as it is for us, Bill Belichick likes to take his time with these coaching staff hires, Alex. And this, as we said last week, could be a pretty – prolonged process and we might not actually find out who the official offensive coordinator is of the Patriots for quite some time but meanwhile a lot of these other hot names or known commodities are getting scooped up by other teams yeah well what that's I don't think there's much for market for Bill O'Brien like have we heard his name mentioned with any team but the Patriots so Bill may know he can take his time on this and if he can why not um I've said, I, you know, I said, I've said this the last couple shows. I think the longer it goes, the higher the chance it is Bill O'Brien. As much as Bill Belichick likes to take his time, I think if he knew he had to go get the guy, he'd go get the guy, right? If he thought that it was going to be pressing for somebody else. So I'm willing to sit and wait. If it means they get the right guy, if it means they end up with Bill O'Brien, and, and I have a piece dropping tomorrow uh, morning on 98.5thesportshub.com about maybe the under uh, under the radar reason that Bill O'Brien is actually the best candidate among all the other reasons we've talked about, but I'm fine waiting. If he's the guy, I don't have a problem with that as long as they get him. 
Yeah, I'm I'm fine with waiting too. Obviously, there's so much time between now and the start of the season. There's no reason to not be fine with waiting other than the fact that it's 2022 and we're impatient people at this point in time in society. But I think the one thing that stands out to me, and, and this is what I'm writing about tomorrow on, on CLNSmedia.com, two plugs there in the first three minutes. I like that. They need a big fish, in my opinion. I, I don't think that they can just go about this and promote from within or pull over a Jerry Shaplinsky or somebody like that from another staff to sort of be a quarterback's coach slash offensive play caller. This is a really big deal moving forward, who they tab to replace Josh McDaniels, a coordinator that had his faults, had his issues, no doubt about that. But when you look at it for 13 years, he was your offensive coordinator and your offensive coordinator for the last decade. That is a really long time. It's a, a lot of experience. It's a lot of trust built up over the years with Bill Belichick. And you have a second-year quarterback in Mac Jones that needs guidance, that needs development. A name that is going to continue to get thrown out here that I think backs up my point a little bit is Adam Gates. And both of us hate the idea of it being Adam Gase. Let me real quick on Adam Gase. Real quick yeah. on Adam Gase. Adam Gase was fired by the Jets. And there's been yeah. this trend in the last few years that players, once they get away from Adam Gates, play exponentially better. Ryan Tannehill, Sam Darnold, Robbie Anderson, the list goes on and on. So bad right. that Adam Gates could not get a job in the NFL last year. Not a head coaching job, not a coordinator job, not a positional coach job. So you know where Adam Gates went? Adam Gates went to Esplanty, Michigan, I think is how you pronounce it, and coached at Lincoln High School. Lincoln High School last year, and by the way, couldn't get the head coaching job at Lincoln High School was the offensive coordinator at Lincoln High School. Lincoln High School last year went 4-5, and five, averaged a touchdown less per game than their division average, and their quarterback, not to crap on this random kid, but their quarterback threw 10 touchdowns to 11 picks under the tutelage of Adam Gase. Yes, that is what I want for Mac Jones. I don't want an Adam Gase either. And I'm not spitting this to any sort of positive, but my point of bringing up Adam Gase is that the grass is not always greener on the other side. There is a way, and I know Patriots fans got sick of the third down play calling and the Brandon Bolden carries on third down and all these other things that they complain about with Josh McDaniels. But let's face it, McDaniels is a really good coach, whether you like them or not. And you also have to recognize that the grass isn't always greener. There's definitely a way... Yeah. In a lot of ways, I would say that this is a downgrade, significant downgrade, if the Patriots don't approach this correctly. And given where Mac is in his development, given where their offense is integrating new pieces, hopefully integrating some more new pieces this offseason, this is a big undertaking for somebody like an Adam Gase, God forbid, or somebody that's like a first-year offensive coordinator, like a Mick Lombardi or Nick Cayley or somebody that's already in-house on the staff. I, I think they need a big fish. They definitely need to get this right. This is a gigantic decision for Bill Belichick because it's one thing to go on the defensive side of the ball and say, okay, we're going to do it by committee. I'm Bill Belichick. I'm the greatest defensive mind in the history of football. We'll figure it out. But offensively, it's a totally different 
it's totally different, right? He, right? he doesn't have the background that he has on offense. Not that Bill Belichick can't be an offensive coordinator, because I'm sure he could if he really wanted to. But that's not where he wants to put his time and effort into mainly, right? You want him game planning and scouting defense. You don't want him going out there and having to call plays for the offense and worry about that whole side of things. So I, this is an enormous decision. Like I said, whether you soured on Josh McDaniels in the end or not, an enormous amount of responsibility and big, big shoes to fill for the Patriots. And we're still sitting here in a holding pattern, waiting for them to make a decision on that. I want to take a second to shout out our sponsors at betonline.ag. There might be less football being played, but BetOnline has way more stuff to bet on this playoff season from scored totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land. Bet online is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And with the new year comes a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS 50 to get started. And it's not just football bet online's basketball, hockey, box. Boxing and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business from sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games. Bet online is your number one wagering destination. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. Bet online where the game starts. Uh, a couple of questions trickling in again. This is a live Q&A. So if you have questions, please ask them now. Get them in the chat. We'll get to as many as we possibly can here over the next hour. A name that has come up to me a lot. A uh, big question in my mailbag this week was about Wes Welker. And if there's any chance that the Patriots, Welker currently is the wide receivers coach for the San Francisco 49ers. And if there's any chance you could see of Bill Belichick calling up one of his old players and bringing him here. I don't think, to be fair, that it has ended. It ended quite on a great note with Wes Welker, right? It, right. it is Patriots tenure, the free agency, the Julian Edelman and Danny Amendola of it. I, I don't necessarily think that there's a ton of love between Welker and Bill at this point. Well, let's not forget the Welker came back and he was around training camp wearing that Tom Brady mask during deflate gate. Like, I, right. yeah, it's an interesting one. I don't know if like how ready is Welker? Where was he in that chain of command? Because Mike McDaniel obviously had a right. very big role. So how much was Welker doing like that? That to me is the problem with the internal candidates. I want somebody with a little more experience, somebody who's called plays in the NFL before probably somebody more quarterback focused too. So I think Wes is a good coach. I mean, you look at what he's done with a guy like Debo Samuels, the wide receivers coach out there. I just don't like, look, I'd rather Wes Welker than Adam Gay. Certainly. I just don't think that Wes Welker is necessarily the best fit in this spot. If it's like three or four years from now, and Max a little more of a veteran, and maybe Wes has done some play calling out there in San Francisco, I could see it a little bit more. I just think that the timing's not right uh, on either side right now. To me, what, what's the difference between bringing Wes Welker here to be the OC or play caller and promoting Troy Brown to the same role? Right, yeah, at and that Troy, point, I would just go with Troy Brown. Right, Troy Brown's been here. Troy Brown's been on the staff. He's studied under Josh McDaniels and learned from Josh McDaniels directly. It seems to me like that would be basically the same thing. You're just bringing back right. a former wide receiver who was a great player here and, and trying to fill a void there as the same way that I think Troy Brown would be able to do it. All right, let's get there's into a really, Wait, there's a really good question there in the chat from Mike Larry. 
optimistic. Is the Patriots offensive coordinator job attractive to begin with? Okay. We can you see that? I just think that's a really interesting question because yes. on I think the upside's tremendous. I mean, Josh McDaniels just got a head coaching job, right? But you're going to have to do a lot. You, you know, you're, you're kind of hitching your wagon to Mac Jones and a unit that has a lot of room to improve. And um, I think for, I, I think it depends on the coach. I think for some coaches, it could be very attractive. I think for some coaches, they might not want to touch it just because of all the work that's going to need to go into it. You do kind of need to rework what this team was doing and there's a lot to be added. Um, I could go back and forth on this. This is a really good question. On top of the fact that I think that there's a lot of moving parts and situations where they are still could very much improve as an offense. I'd also say that at least internally in the league, Josh McDaniels, reputation is much better among coaches, among league circles than it is among Patriots fans. It feels like, right. I, I think a lot of people within the league have a ton of respect for Josh McDaniels and what he's been able to do with the Patriots even outside of what he was able to do with Tom Brady, you look at last year, they are sixth in scoring offense with a rookie quarterback. So I think that there is a lot of pressure in some ways to follow Josh McDaniels here in New England, unless you are somebody that has done it before, like a Bill O'Brien, who has an established reputation already on his own, good or bad, somebody that has some clout to him and has a resume. Is it the most attractive OC job on the planet? No. Is it something that I think that is better than certain other situations? Yes, because I do think learning from Bill has its value and being under Bill Belichick has its value. Look at the fact of how many, just even despite the fact that they all seem to fail, how many Bill uh, Belichick assistants are getting head coaching jobs every single uh, coaching cycle, right? Are getting interviews for head coaching jobs. So I, I do think that it still has a lot of positive energy from that standpoint. But yeah, it's not an easy job to take from a personnel standpoint. You got a young quarterback. You don't really have a number one weapon yet. You don't know if Bill Belichick's actually going to go out there and invest in a number one weapon uh, when you take the job. So I, I don't disagree that it's not exactly the most attractive job. Maybe, I don't know. My Again, I think to the right guy, if you have the right mindset, right. it could be very attractive. If you're somebody who would preach, basically, I'm trying to think of a nicer way to phrase this because this isn't exactly accurate. If you're somebody who appreciates a fixer-upper, right? Right. You know, this is, this is going out and buying a, you know, 70s Corvette Mustang that's been sitting in somebody's driveway and, like, it's a, you know, it's a 70s sports car. You got to put some work into it, but the result on the other side is so tremendous. So I think if you're somebody who enjoys the, and by the way, I think this is true a lot about how the Patriots just view their operation. If you're somebody who enjoys the process more than the success itself, right. I think this is a really attractive opening because again, you have this young quarterback, you get to work with a lot of young players, really on the offensive side of the ball, you get to work with, you really get to make it your own. If you're somebody who just wants to slide in and coast off Josh McDaniel's success, you're not necessarily going to be able to do that. So I think that that that's like how I'd split it up. I would also mention just quickly to wrap it up here. There aren't a lot. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. There aren't a lot of vacant OC jobs available 
that right. you can be the primary play caller because all these head coaches are the, that guy now, right? You know, just thinking about it in Minnesota, it sounds like Kevin O'Connell is going to get that job with the Vikings. He's going to call plays. If Mike McDaniel gets the job with the Dolphins, he's going to call plays. Uh, you got guys like Dable in New York. He's going to call the play. So there's not a whole lot of defensive-minded coaches getting jobs now as head coaches that are then looking for primary play callers on the offensive side of the ball. And the Patriots have one of the best defensive minds in football as their head coach. And he's also going to allow you to call plays because he's certainly not going to do it. So there are very few jobs out there that don't have that setup where the head coach is the offensive play caller. And if they are, then they usually already have a pretty highly touted OC that has that job already in place. So there's not a whole lot of vacancies, I would argue. Right. So if you're looking for one of those, I still think the Patriots is is a decent option, certainly a viable option. Okay. Um, Brian Flores, I've gotten this question a lot too uh, about coaching again in the NFL. What is the likelihood that he comes back here to New England and coaches with the Patriots, assuming that he's probably while suing the NFL? Although it did come out today that there is a chance that he could still be the uh, coach in Houston. He, he's still in the running and they haven't ruled him out in terms of uh, being the head coach there with the Texans, but uh, his Optics of returning to New England, I think, got a lot more complicated after he released those text messages from Bill Belichick in this lawsuit. I want to first and foremost speak on behalf of both of us. We're both with Brian Flores 100% in this lawsuit. But you put those text messages from Bill out in the ether without his permission and then expect him to hire you for a job. I don't think I don't see that happening. I, I, I could be wrong, but I just don't really see Bill Belichick doing that. Not immediately. I think time heals all wounds, right? Maybe down the road. I just, uh, look, I, I think if, if he, I, I, it wouldn't be the most shocking thing that's ever happened. Because I think, you know, we've seen Devin McCourty kind of, he, he came out and said, I don't remember exactly what he said, something about Flores, but giving him his support, all of that. If Bill, if, if Flores can't get a head coaching job and there's enough of a push from the locker room to bring him back, I think Bill would bring him back. I really do. I think he listens to what those guys have to say. I think he trusts their instinct and they need, like they need help on the defensive side of the ball. Right. And Flores is going to give them that. Let's not forget in all of this, Brian Flores, a damn good coach. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure he's not the most pleased with Brian Flores right now, but this outside of one decision, his entire 20 years is predicated on taking emotion out of it and doing what's best for the team. Bringing Brian Flores back, assuming he wants to come back, is what's best for the team. Now, is Flores super pumped with Bill after those texts? I don't right. know. If yeah. New England's the only place he can work, does it matter? You know, there's a lot of unknowns here. I just wouldn't rule it out. I, I, I can't just rule out definitively that Brian Flores will never coach in New England again. We've seen such weirder stuff happen that I, I think I'm not going to say definitive no. Season. I think Brian Flores pretty much coaching anywhere in the NFL in 2022. You're suing the national football league. He is suing the league current yeah. uh, putting that guy on your staff as good of a defensive coach as he is, has a lot of confusing optics that I just don't know if any team is really going to get over. Maybe Houston is that, is that team because they don't seem to give an F about anything. Right. I mean, they right. they'll do whatever. So uh, maybe Houston is still the best chance that he's got. Uh, Chad O'Shea. 
another name that's come up a lot with the OC hire, OC candidate, former Patriots wide receivers coach, former Patriots red zone coordinator, big red zone guy here in New England during his time on Josh McDaniels' staff, did not have a good breakup with the Miami Dolphins and Brian Flores as their offensive coordinator, his original offensive coordinator when he took the job there in Miami. But this one was more about a stylistic issue than anything else. They had a quarterback in Tua that had to run a certain kind of offense, right? It just wasn't going to work with him without the RPO element, without the uh, spread element from the college game at Alabama. If you didn't do any of those things with Tua, then he wasn't going to have a chance to succeed. So they moved on from the Patriots Earnhardt Perkins style scheme with O'Shea. But the interesting thing about O'Shea now is that he's gone to Cleveland the last two years and worked in a totally different system with Kevin Stefanski in the wide zone scheme. So he could have a chance. And this is the one thing I do like about potentially bringing in O'Shea is that there is a chance that he could marry the McVay Shanahan tree with the Patriots playbook. And although I'd rather go spread and and spread things out and and put a lot more speed on the field and give Mac Jones, the shotgun formations and all that kind of stuff. It's not a terrible idea to try to marry some of those concepts from the wide zone system with what the Patriots are currently doing either. So if they want to go in that direction, then Chad O'Shea has his experience in both systems with wide zone and with what the Patriots typically do with the downhill stuff. Yeah. I I don't think he's a bad option. I just, you'd like to have somebody more quarterback focused with Mac Jones being so young and look, they need to develop wide receivers too. And he has that wide receiver background, but I wouldn't hate it if O'Shea comes back, but I don't think he's the best option either. Yeah. That's fair. I don't even think he's option number two, honestly. I think option number one's Bill O'Brien. I know you're going to kill me, but I, I have a feeling that Adam Gase is up there. And in terms of uh, options besides that, then I think maybe you start talking about a guy like a Chad O'Shea. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. Uh, another one here, and then I want to wrap up the OC talk and we can move on to uh, draft prospects, whatever you guys want to talk about player-wise. This one I absolutely love. I don't know if they can get Zach Robinson out of L.A., but this whole thing with former bust backup quarterback types that are really, really smart football minds and got drafted because of their IQ at the quarterback position and not necessarily their physical tools. Zach Robinson, Kellen Moore, Mike Kafka – Kevin O'Connell. I mean, just go on right down the line now at this point of the quarterbacks that are getting head coaching jobs that are are moving up the ranks quickly. Zach Robinson, assistant quarterbacks coach with the Rams right now. Kevin O'Connell, their OC, just got hired or will get hired uh, for the Vikings head coaching job. So the question is, is he going to get that promotion already in the Rams uh, with the Rams with Sean McVay? But Sean McVay is the primary play caller play caller with the Rams. So Zach Robinson's not going to call plays with the Rams. So the question is, is can you prime out of there by offering him the ability to call plays with the Patriots? Yeah, I think he's a really interesting option. I I do. Again, I don't know that he gets away, but he's somebody who's going to kind of give them that RPO spread look. And he's somebody who's going to be able to work with Mac Jones. I think those are the two biggest boxes you're looking to check in the OC and, and he checks them. Yeah. He's a really interesting mind because I think he is, a lot of people are looking for that innovator, that new thing, that fresh blood. I think Zach Robinson really fits a lot of those bills. And like I said, this 
turn from backup quarterback to OC or play caller has really been very successful lately across the league, league wide. Uh, these guys are, they just get it right. I mean, they've been in those shoes before they've, they've right. played quarterback, not only in the NFL, but at a high level in college. And uh, they just sort of understand uh, what the quarterback is going through and, and what makes it easier on the quarterback and things like that. And it's worked out really well for a lot of other teams. Can we also stop quickly with, Brian Hoyer is not going to be the offensive coordinator. Tom Brady is certainly not going to be the offensive coordinator. So I, I, I we don't need to pull up questions on that, but I, I just want to get out and say, like, just please stop, stop it with yeah. that nonsense. It, neither one of those things is going to happen. All right, let's pull up some uh, prospect talk here and, and get into some of these draft guys that people are asking about. Uh, here's one. Let's see if we can do this rapid fire. Like keep the prospects coming and we'll keep the answers coming. All right. Let's start with uh, with a guy that we both really like, probably a second or third round prospect, depending on the ACL rehab. John Mechie. Do I like John Mechie more than Alex Barth, noted Alabama fan, uh, <laughs> likes John Mechie? I had him as my second best wide receiver in the draft. It got a lot of negative attention on my Twitter feed, people telling me I'm absolutely crazy for having him that high. But Alex, you can quickly give your Mechie take and I'll tell people why I like him so much. Yeah, I had Mechie as my, th- before all the injuries, I had Mechie as my third wide receiver in the draft. I had Williams, Olave, yeah. and then him. My thing is, as it relates to the Patriots, I I think you need to get help immediately. I think you need somebody who can come into camp and and work with Mac Jones in camp, build that chemistry. Mechie might be able to play this year, but it might not be till like October. And we saw what happened when Nikhil Harry essentially lost his rookie yeah. training camp and rookie preseason. And look, I think John Mechie's way more talented than Nikhil Harry, but it just their history of developing wide receivers. It concerns me taking a guy who's going to miss the whole preseason process his first year. So I think if you go out, you sign a Chris Godwin, you trade for Calvin Ridley, then yeah, I'm definitely sold on John Mechie in the second round. If he's your old, if you're only going to make one wide receiver addition, it's going to be in the draft. I want somebody who's going to be around. I want somebody who's going to be there from day one, you know, Alave, David Bell, George Pickens, whoever it is. So that's where I'm at on Mechie. Love him as a player. If he was healthy, I'd be pounding the table for him uh, for the Patriots. I just think it's a Patriots-specific thing where I, I don't love that he's not there day one. I don't love it. It just bugs me. I can't help it, but it's how I feel. And I feel the same way about Jamison Williams, too. Uh, fair enough. It's a good point. Now, yeah. my counterpoint to it would be, first and foremost, if Bill O'Brien's the offensive coordinator, then there's not yes. much of a transition for John Mechie. Secondly, he played with Mac Jones at a very high level two years ago, right? And Mac Jones' final year, one-year starter right. uh, as a starter at Alabama. So he's got a great rapport with Mac Jones. He's already been in Bill O'Brien's system. So if you have those two guys here in New England, then the training camp, getting up the speed, uh, OTAs, mini camp, that sort of thing, I don't think is as much of a factor. The other thing is, is that the word is right now is that John Mechie is way ahead of schedule uh, in his ACL rehab. Obviously we're still way too early for him to be running at full speed or anything like that, but apparently they feel like he's going to be able to go by like August or September. And if that's the case, let's also keep in mind that, ACLs, the rehab and the the surgery has become such a science and such a machine at this point that it's not like it was five, 10 years ago where those guys were out for a year plus and weren't the same and things like that. This is a really quick injury 
for a serious, significant long-term injury. They're really figuring out how to expedite and efficiently go about the process. So I, I think that John Mechie will be healthy uh, sooner rather than later next year. The reason why I love him so much as a player, I love separators. I love guys with speed. I love guys that know how to get open. I like guys that can play inside and outside and off the line of scrimmage as well as on the line as an X receiver. I love guys that can create with the ball in their hands right? And put, create explosive plays. If you're somebody like Mechie, who you can turn on the tape and find a three-step slant of him getting open at the top of the route and then taking the ball 40, 50 yards after the catch, or you can find him running a vertical and get open behind the defense and go ahead and make big plays that way. That's my kind of receiver. I, I would much rather get a guy that can separate, that can run, that's fast, that gets open at the top of the route and through the break point than somebody that is constantly wearing coverage and is has to succeed by scheme, by contested catches. So my preference is always going to be to lean towards the Mechie types, right? Mechie, uh, Garrett Wilson, Olave, Jameson Williams. I think those guys are on a different level in this draft compared to some of the others. But here's another one that I think is going to get some buzz, uh, certainly once the combine comes rolling around. And this is another yeah. – I, I like Traylon Burks. I, I think Traylon Burks is a talented receiver. He's probably going to run a lot faster than Nikhil Harry ran. He's not Nikhil Harry, right? He's a much more right. explosive athlete. He's probably going to be a 4-3 guy at 6-2, 6-3. So this is a ridiculously explosive, uh, good athlete. But all of his targets in college – his average depth of target was a little bit over nine yards because he's either getting balls at the line of scrimmage or near the line of scrimmage and asked to run with the football or he's getting contested catch targets down the field. There's nothing else, right? It's either right. The behind the line stuff or the deep ball. There's nothing else in between that obviously worries me a ton about his projection with the Patriots. Yeah. Again, it's a Patriots thing. I like him as a player, but you know, is he Nikhil Harry? Is he AJ Brown? This is where it's something I said, I'm going to make a point of focusing on this off season nature versus nurture. I think Traylon Burks, a lot of his success is going to be predicated on where he lands. We've seen the Patriots struggle to develop that kind of wide receiver. If they draft Traylon Burks, it's a, it's a mulligan on Nikhil Harry and right. Burks may be a better player, but they've still got to be able to maximize him and use him to his strengths, which they couldn't do with Nikhil. So Traylon Burks worries me. Can we bring up, there's been a lot of comments about Sky Moore. Um, uh, yeah, I, let me get to, we got a lot of receivers. Everybody wants okay, to talk well, Sky about Moore, Sky Moore is a receiver. Have you not done Sky Moore yet? Yeah, I haven't re studied. I know he's a receiver, but I okay. wanted to get to a few uh, others. I'm going down here. The, okay. the list. I'm, I'm back a ways. A lot of, a lot of comments. We appreciate you guys. Uh, George Pickens uh, from Georgia. Probably a first round top 50 talent if he stays healthy the entire year last year at Georgia and doesn't have some of the speed bumps, let's call them, in the road earlier on in his career. Really, really talented guy. Uh, easy, easy speed. And when I watch him run routes, if you watch any receiver run routes, you can just tell by the way that defensive backs play a guy if he's got real speed, right? If you feel it, you can see it. And when you watch George Pickens run, whether it's running a vertical over the top or then running the vertical route tree at the intermediate level where he's snapping routes off and creating separation at the top of the route by pushing vertical, uh, he's got the full repertoire of downfield vertical breaks or the intermediate stop routes comebacks along the sideline where he loses coverage because of that vertical stem. 
Yeah, I, I like Pickens. He's fast. He plays the game with a nasty streak, which you love, especially, you know, the Patriots love that at the wide receiver position. So, yeah, he might be in between. I don't know that he's the best receiver on the board at 21, and I think he's off the board by the time the Patriots make their pick in the second round. He's maybe a guy they trade back and grab maybe like in the early, you know, early portion of the second round would be probably how they end up with him. But I wouldn't rule him out as a possibility, no. Yeah. Uh, we talked a lot about Chris Olave already. I know you wanted to t- mention Sky Moore. Yeah. All right. So you just go. I can't find the Sky Moore question, but you really, can- it was like half of the comments for like five minutes there. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I, there's a lot of, of things right. I'm scrolling through. It. Go well, ahead on Sky well, Moore. While you're looking for that, see if you can find the Verone McKinley comment. Um, Sky Moore. So we did this a little bit last year, right? With the tiers, the tiers yeah. of the different types of wide receiver. And when you look at those slot gadget, the Debo Samuel, Tyreek Hill kind of players in this draft. I think Wandale Robinson's at the top of that class. He's going to be probably an early second round pick. I think Sky Moore is the guy you take if you miss out on Wandale Robinson. Now he's out of Western Michigan. He doesn't necessarily have the same talent on the other side of the ball on the tape, but the same idea, a guy you can line up all around the formation, fast player, excellent with the ball in his hands. He's somebody who's absolutely on the radar. And then just to keep going, so I, I think Wandale Robinson's your early round guy for that yeah. mold. I think you go Sky Moore in the middle rounds. And then these are some other names I've seen in the comments. You go to the late rounds. If you're still looking for that gadget player, then you start talking about Slade Bolden. Bo Melton from Rutgers is a guy who's tearing it up um, at the senior bowl right now. So those are the tiers of those guys. I put Slade Bolden in the middle, but I think he's somebody, he's definitely a name Patriots fan should know. Yeah, Sky Moore can fly. That guy's fast. He, I think he probably plays faster than he times. And what I think is fascinating about the draft process now, I'm not sure how much the Patriots are delving into this, but a lot of teams are using uh, the uh, chip technology and pads to use actual play speed on the field, right? They're not actually using 40 times anymore. Uh, they're using what players are actually running in games during the college football season more so than uh, studying 40 times. And I think Sky Moore is one of those guys uh, and Wandell, I, I think it fits in this category as well that plays faster than they might actually time in the four. Right. So I, I think that's going to be an interesting dichotomy going forward in the draft in general is how many people care about the 40 times versus how many teams are still uh, are now moving on to the time uh, in in game, you know, chips or using the mathematicians or whatever they do formulas uh, to figure out how fast guys are running during games during the season. All right, let's uh, move off of wide receivers here for a second. I know everybody loves their wide receivers, but I want to talk about Jordan Davis. Who I posted about today. Got a lot of comments about it, Alex, on both sides of the coin. I absolutely love Jordan Davis for the Patriots in the first round if he's there. We were texting about this before the show, and this draft in the first round, it feels like there's 19, maybe 20 really good prospects for the Patriots in the first round if you take out the quarterbacks and God help us all if they draft a guard in the first round. So let's take out the guards also. And you just look at all the other positions – And I think that Jordan Davis is right near the top of my list, if not the top guy in terms of what might be available to the Patriots at 21. Probably more of a two-down nose tackle at this point in terms of where he's going to fit in the NFL. So maybe not a top 10, top 15 guy. If this is 20 years ago, he's going top five 
right? This guy can move at six foot six, 340 pounds, an absolute mountain, uh, can't be moved off the line of scrimmage, can't single block him, dominant run defender. Uh, where do you stand on the Patriots taking Jordan Davis? Because he does have a somewhat limited at you know athletic profile to be the dt he's not christian barmore right he's a little bit different than that i he's so athletic by the way he's not 26 he's 22 i don't know where that came from um he's so athletic i think he i think he's a three down player i think he gets underrated as a pass rusher and if he's on the board i'd snag him i still think there's no shot he makes it to 21 i look at i i made i said this on the show a couple weeks ago Derek brown from auburn was a seventh round pick by the seventh overall pick by the Panthers. What was that two years ago now? Yes. Jordan Davis, nothing against Derek Brown. I think Derek Brown's a five fine player. Jordan Davis miles ahead yeah. of where Derek Brown was when he went seventh overall. I think he's going to pop at the combine. Like he's at three forty, He's going to run around a five. He's going to run around a five second four. He's that athletic. I truly believe that. And he's going to fly up the boards. And I think he's off the board top 15. I really do. If not, yeah, I'd absolutely take him at 21. I think him and Barmore would be a problem. We talk about all these ways offenses are trying to innovate the game and come up with these new schemes. How about a pass rush where your two best pass rushers are your defensive tackles? And one of them's 340 and can move like a ballerina. Like, talk about innovative. There you go. I just don't think he gets to that point. I don't think he does. Somebody in the chat bringing up Travis Jones. I think Travis Jones is more of a two-down traditional nose tackle, but they need a guy like that. I'd love to see Travis Jones in New England. I would take Jordan Davis at 21 if he's there. Don't get me wrong. I'm just not counting on him being there. Yeah, so Jordan Davis, I think, is a little bit different than your prototypical nose tackle because he is so physically dominant and he's so elite that he can take over a game by pushing the pocket. Like, he's that physically strong. This isn't a guy – we think of nose tackles as guys who just eat space. Right. He's not just eating space. I mean, he's pushing defenders out of the way. Yeah. He's getting yeah. into the backfield. He just he's disrupting. He plays like an edge defender, but he does it from the middle of the defense at 340 pounds. Yeah, he's a monster. And you talk about uh, a lot of people are saying, oh, wait, well, that's not how you stop Kansas City and Buffalo by drafting a 340 pound nose tackle. But in a lot of ways, I actually think it is because you line them up at zero or the one technique right over the center in the A gap and you start pushing that pocket on top of Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. That's exactly what they don't want, right? They don't want guys in their face. They don't want guys in their laps. They don't want to have to escape or move out the pocket in terms of going up the field. They want to go around the pocket, they want to go outside and get on the perimeter. If you can have a guy like Jordan Davis who can collapse the pocket from the inside and get right into their laps, not to mention at six foot six, get the hands up in the passing right. lane, that's a really big problem for them. So I also would say that a big problem of why they couldn't stop Buffalo in the last two games is because they couldn't have personnel on the field that against the run and the pass, they could load up to stop the run or they could load up to stop the pass, but they were vulnerable to one thing all the time. Right. And that makes it very difficult to play defense. If you have Jordan Davis out there with Christian Barmore and Lawrence guy, and maybe a big linebacker like a Juwan Bentley. Now you can probably stop the run with three or four guys. And you've really shored up that part of your game plan just with four guys. And then you can kind of build out from there. So I think that Jordan Davis definitely would help them against some of these spread teams, even though he might not be Aaron Donald, 
his ability to go out there and basically be a one man wrecking crew against the run allows you to have everybody else do other things, right? And kind of frees yeah. up the rest of the defense to stop the pass. Again, people want to make comps for Jordan Davis and say, oh, well, you know, a defensive tackle can't do this. A defensive tackle can't do that. I don't know that there's a defensive, like Jordan Davis, is a new kind of player. I don't yeah. know that there is a comp for Jordan Davis. I don't know that there is somebody you plug in and say, well, look how this guy plays. So that's what Jordan Davis is going to give you. I don't think that exists. I think Jordan Davis is truly new, which is part of the reason I think Bill Belichick would love him. But at the same time, it's why you can't just dismiss a defensive tackle as somebody who's not going to help them against the pass. He's, he's built differently. Okay. One more wide receiver. I do want to touch on, and I want to go to corners yeah. here to get an asked a lot of cornerback questions. Christian Watson, who the Patriots met with down in Mobile, has had a strong week at the Senior Bowl. 6'4", 6'5", 4'3", 40-yard dash time. Played at North Dakota State with uh, Trey Lance last year. And I remember watching Trey Lance tape. And essentially, Christian Watson, now granted at the FCS level, was Trey Lance's Mike Evans, right? He could just, if he got one-on-one with Watson down the field, you can throw the ball up to him. He has fluidity. That's pretty darn good for a guy of his size, too, to have that ability uh, to create some separation. So he's not Velcroed uh, to coverage all the time and only winning in contested situations. As an outside X receiver, really like him. And I think if you're going to have a guy like that, what we have seen with Mac Jones is that unless you're going to have Jamison Williams, right, or Tyree Kill level speed down the field, you need somebody that can go up and get the ball a little bit because the ball is not, he doesn't have one of those howitzer arms where he's going to drill it 50, 60 yards down the field. If you have a guy like Christian Watson on the other end of that pass in Buffalo on the opening drive that Nelson Aguilar just kind of watched and let Mike a high jump, you never know. It could have a different result with a receiver that can go up and get the ball like Christian Watson can. And it's interesting. I'm, so I'm looking at this right now. They met with, uh, I think it's Dubes, Romeo Dubes, Dobbs as well yeah. from Nevada. Another big receiver. Yeah. So they're they're looking for the 6'4", six, 6'5", six, perimeter guys. Yeah. That's, I mean, very early indication. I like Watson too. I mean, he needs, the scary thing with Watson, I'm not saying I wouldn't want them to pick him. He's very raw. Yeah. Again, he's big. He's very fast. You check those boxes. You can't teach that. Can't teach yeah. size. Can't teach speed. Beyond that, he needs some coaching. And that it, Romeo Dubs, thank you. That's hasn't necessarily been a strong point here. Yeah. So who do they hire as the OCs, their new wide receivers coach, that kind of thing? But I wouldn't rule out Christian Watson, not by any means. The FCS Mike Evans. That's what I'm calling him. That guy, just like when Johnny Manziel was at AM with Mike Evans, and you just see Manziel run around for five seconds and then throw some pop up down the field to some receiver named Mike Evans at the time. Uh, that was what you could see on the tape at, right. at North Dakota State with Trey Lance and Christian Watson, a, a really a player that can just has elite oh, go above the rim status. This isn't like just good uh, above the rim status. This guy can really go get it. All right. Another senior bowl guy, absolutely love his tape, absolutely love his man coverage skills. He's got dinosaur arms, all right? He's got 29-inch arms, Alex, and this is one of those times of year uh, where things like 29-inch arms is something that we have to discuss. Roger McCreary at Auburn, SEC battle-tested, gone up against some of the best receivers in the SEC over the last couple of years as Auburn's number one. Great, great man coverage corner, super sticky, great hips, fluid, the whole nine yards, but he's small. 
He's really small. He's got he's five nine, five ten. Uh, like I mentioned, 29 inch arms and anything below 30 at any position, really at the NFL level, you're a small guy, probably going to see most teams take him out of the first round might even have a lot of teams that say we're only playing this guy in the slot. Like this guy's not going to be right. an outside cornerback uh, for us, but the tape is the tape. And uh, the Patriots in the past have gone with the tape in terms of Isaiah Wynn, right? It hasn't always worked out, uh, but they have gone with the tape in the past. Yeah, at the same time, though, they've been – corner's a position where they really seem to lean on the physicals. They really seem to lean on the – what are your physical measurements, how fast you run in the 40, all of that. So it would be it would be a break from uh, uh, from what they traditionally do. I'm not saying it would be a bad thing. I, I, I don't – you know, I think they could certainly do worse than Roger McCreary. I just think they're going to look at him and, you know, if he's on the board, is Kobe Bryant also on the board? Right. right. And I think they would I think they would look at a guy like Bryant and we'll see what he runs. But he's a guy who's probably going to test athletically very well. I think they look at that and say, OK, well, we can take McCreary at 21 or we can get Bryant at 53. And Bryant is, is more athletically our prototype. So let's take Bryant. Right. I just think that's going. I wouldn't rule it out, but I just think that's going to be their thought process there. Yeah. So another corner, and this is not named directly here, but I wanted to bring him up. A first round guy by most projections is uh, Kaim Elam from uh, Florida. <laughs> Talk yeah. about Juwan Williams vibes. That guy gave me major Juwan Williams vibes watching him today. Did some homework the last couple of days on the top of the cornerback class. And my goodness, uh, gets stacked vertically. Can't, can't really stick at the top of the route, but if you let him play press, right? If you let him get in somebody's right. face and use his length and smother guys, then Elam can do that. You have to put Elam against an X receiver. You have to put him on the boundary against a big bodied guy. If you put Elam against Stefan Diggs and forget about it, right? It's going to be over before it started. How worried are you about those Jawan Williams type guys though? Cause Elam's one of them. He's projected right in the 20 to 30 range in most consensus boards, six foot two, six, three, physical alpha corner, but has a lot of hip stiffness and just not a great long speed either. Yeah. See, that's the guy where if he's on the board with McCreary and they say, we want a corner in this spot. They might take Elam and they might yeah. say, we can coach him up. We can get the technique down. Uh, he is the physical uh, build we want. Whereas McCreary's never going to have that reach that they want in a corner. So I, I think Elam's more physical. I like Elam's makeup. Like I think he just has, that you need that it factor as a corner. Like Stefan Gilmore is a perfect example of this, where I think he went and JC Jackson as a two, he went out every rep and believed he was better than whoever was lined up yeah. across from him. I mean, he's lining up across from Devonte Smith and he plays it. Like he knows for sure. He's going to beat Devonte Smith. Even if Smith beats him, he comes back the next snap and still plays it that way. So I, I don't, I wouldn't put him quite in Juwan Williams category. I see where you're coming from. Yeah. I think the mental makeup, I like a little more. I'm not super high on Elam again. You know, especially with the measurements with McCreary, I'm starting to think first, I wouldn't go corner in the first round this year unless maybe Sauce Gardner falls, then I could be talked into it, obviously. Oh, I think he's a great oh, don't, don't sleep on Andrew Booth Jr. That guy. I, have, so I haven't watched a ton of him. I have. Oh, my God. He is incredible. I mean, okay, some, so I, I got to get. If somebody brings him up later, we can talk about him, and I can okay. gush about well, Andrew Booth Jr. some more. Can we, uh, two names in the chat. Michael Wright, zone corner. Don't see it. Yes. Good player, but not their fit. Um, somebody's brought up Verone McKinley a couple times. 
if okay. you could indulge me dipping into safeties very yes. briefly. Oh, God. All right. I'll let you do it. And then um, there, yes, we will get to that name that was just brought up in the chat as well. Um, go no, ahead. I really, I, re- I really like Verone McKinley. I, I'm really glad that name came up. I do. I don't think this is a fantastic safety draft. And I think safety is a need. Devin McCourty, it sounds like he's going to come back. He's going to be 35. That deep safety role is so important. I think they need a true free safety. They used to have two of them, right? We had this conversation on the show a couple weeks ago about trying to mirror what they had in 2018 and 2019 with the two strong outside corners, the two deep safeties in McCourty and Harmon, and then your box guys. I'd like to see him get another true deep safety. Not a ton of them in this draft. If you want to go Jaquan Brisker high, he's probably a top 50 pick. If not, I get some Devin McCourty vibes from Verone McKinley. I just think he understands the game at a very high level. He's a very good athlete. He can move. I think he he's there. Like he's the kind of guy that they can bring in and develop and becomes like a solid player here for eight to 10 years. I so really like, do. So like a Duran Harmon is basically what basically. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that would be the better comp. I'd like to see him get a shot at McCourty's role. I, I, I think he's worth getting a shot. I think you take him this year. You let him learn from McCourty for a year. If McCourty then retires. He's a guy. I think you're comfortable at least seeing what he can do as that primary deep safety. And remember, no defensive player has played more snaps over the last two years than Devin McCourty. He's led the team in yeah. defensive snaps in each of the last two years. That's a significant role. They need a plan for filling that role. Not a ton of guys in this. And look, they could address it in free agency too. Not a yeah. ton of guys in this not draft great, that I think. Not a great safety draft. No, especially for a deep safety. Yeah. But I think Verone McKinley is a guy who could maybe do it. So that's a good name to know. Okay, so I want to talk about some of these senior bowl guys that are popping up yeah, now. Yeah. And well, he's chat- a senior bowl guy. He got added last minute. Y- yes. Yeah. Uh, let, let's talk about uh, Trevor Penning here for a second, the okay. offensive tackle. So first two days of the senior bowl, Trevor Penning looked like garbage, right? Getting beat around the corner, can't anchor, terrible. He came out today and was pissed the F off about how bad he played in the first two days, I think. And he was just trying to start a fight with pretty much everybody. He's got some nasty about him. He's got size. He checks all the measurables. It's not Isaiah Wynn, right? He's got length. He's got good size to him and he can pass block. He has some really fluid pass sets, good feet, sturdy, uh, well uh, postured type of pass protector as well. But it's definitely the flashes of finishing and nastiness as a run blocker that stands out. I'm leaning more towards if the Patriots have to go tackle in first round and they want to go tackle in the first round. I'm leading towards Penning as being the guy that I would personally take. I like Raymond a little bit as well. I like your guy, Darian Kennard too. Kennard to me is uh, the inflatable two man, right? His hands are just like all over the place. Uh, They're going to have to really fix that. But with Penning, I think he's probably the most pro ready of this group in terms of just what he can bring technique wise. Well, how about so the, the group of three? I like. I think Raymond's going up. I think he's his stock's just going to keep. He's rising. a really good athlete. So yeah, I yeah. So I look at the three for me that I think are in the range for the Patriots are, and you mentioned two of them: Penning, Kennard, and uh, Faale. I think is how it's pronounced. Oh God, yeah, he's had a horrible week. He, yeah. He's had a rough week, but yeah, we, you talk about you know what he brings to the table in terms of the young teachables. He can't ask for much more than that, right? right? So. And I said that I wrote this in my senior bowl preview on 985thesportsup.com. I think watching those three sort themselves out this week, because I think they all came in more or less neck and neck. Yeah. Watching how those three separated from each other this week was big for me. So I think Penning's been the best of the three. I'm curious how you would rate those three. I would go Penning, Kennard, 
I can't put Fale all the way down because, again, the unteachables are still so good. But he looks maybe further away than I anticipated coming into this week. But how would you rank? Like, if those three guys are on the board, Patriots are taking a tackle, how would you rank those three guys? I got Penning number one. I had him number okay. one on the tape, and I don't think he's done anything terribly wrong at the senior bowl to move off of that right i don't want to overreact yeah. to a couple of practices during senior bowl week so i'll keep pending at number one i like raymond at number two the reason why i like a guy like raymond is he's a converted tight end and you can see the athleticism and the movement ability right just side to side lateral quickness out of his slides and also in space as a run blocker screen blocker getting out in front of things and when they run a lot of those concepts to the left right tosses and maybe not so much with me Daniel's gone, but tosses, screens, things like that. They want a left tackle that can move. They they don't right. usually put the big dude over there unless it was that one year of Trent Brown. Falali just has been horrible. I mean, it's just been terrible. Uh, the main thing that I would say that I that I really am concerned with a guy like Falale is is more so the fact that he can't get his pads down. Like I'm not as concerned about the redirect stuff because I think yeah. they'll be able to fi- help him fix that. Especially if you have a quarterback, like a pocket QB, like Mac, who doesn't necessarily need to set deep in the pocket. I think they'll be able to get him uh, to be able to handle an inside counter, but if he can't get his pads down and he, the reason why he's getting pancaked at 380 pounds is because he's playing too tall. And there's no excuse whatsoever for a 380-pound tackle to get pancaked. Like, you just can't have that, right? It's just ridiculous. The great thing and the thing that's super rare about Trent Brown is his ability to bend and sit down in his chair and catch guys. And if you can't do that at that size, then you're going to have a lot of trouble uh, in the NFL. If he can't block a speed-to-power rusher, then what's the point of a guy like Falaldi? You know, that's his whole thing. The whole point is you want him just out there absorbing contact, and he's right. shown this week he can't do that. Um, yeah, a lot of work to do. Uh, Scott- Jermaine Johnson, can we do Jermaine okay. Johnson? Yeah. Let's do Jermaine Johnson, who has torn up every single one-on-one drill that you see, whether it's on Twitter or on uh, the coverage of the Senior Bowl this week. Long Florida State edge rusher. I think it would drive me up an absolute wall if the Patriots took another edge rusher early in this draft. You have Judon, you have Van Noy, you have Uche, you have Ronnie Perkins, you have Chase Winovich, and here's another edge rusher. Uh, That would be a really tough pill to swallow, (laughs) Uh, but he's looked fantastic. I can't deny that. He's probably been the best player on the field for the first couple days of the Senior Bowl. Yeah, uh, good player. I just, not on the Patriots' radar for me. I just don't. Where he's going to go, the position he plays, they're deep enough. Now that I've said that, they'll take him, but... Yeah, I don't think he's necessarily a Patriots fit in this draft. All right. Uh, who, who did you want to go to now? So Scott Lakin with the, the Taysom Hill type question, because there are a couple guys in this draft I think fit. Oh, this order. is right up Alex's alley, so let me try to find it. Go ahead. So it's very recent. So I'll give you three names. Brock Purdy from Iowa State, Dustin Crump uh, from Kent State. Both are quarterbacks, bigger, more physical running quarterbacks. Uh, Bill raved about the way um, – um, Felipe Franks kind of played a Taysom Hill type role for the Falcons earlier this year. So I think yeah. this is something he'd be in on the one other guy you want to really talk gadget. And Evan, I think he's been, he might be my new draft crush. How much I've talked about him is Troy Anderson from Montana state who was an all conference quarterback and an all conference linebacker two years apart. And he's, he's definitely an intriguing special teams player. I think he can play some defense and he does have that option quarterback experience, maybe on the goal line. Like, I, I can't look away from Troy Anderson. I really just can't. 
He's such a fascinating case. So he's at the senior bowl this week. He's only playing linebacker, but um, yeah, those would be my three names for that category. All right. So I'll, I, since we scratched some of your itches, I want to talk okay, about Andrew, yes. Booth, Andrew Booth Jr. here. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Who I watched yesterday and let me, t- this guy is I would say he's probably the best prospect I've watched so far in the draft. Just absolutely insane athleticism and play speed. You talk about twitched up. You talk about a guy like Andrew Booth Jr., greasy hips, so smooth in his pedal, so smooth in press man coverage, mirroring guys, route anticipation, and absolutely electric explosiveness. Watching this guy attack screen passes when he's the outside corner to that side is ridiculous. I mean, he flies up with such a reckless abandon to try to blow up the screen. If you want a first round corner, if you want to create him in the lab, he looks like Andrew Booth Jr. Like that's what this guy is athletically. That's what he can do in terms of coverage. He can play all sorts of different types of coverages too. You can put him in press. You can put him in zone. You can put him in off man. I mean, there's instances where he's playing press man and he's running bump and run up the sideline. And then he's playing the smash concept perfectly out of cover too. I mean, he can do absolutely everything. I don't think he's going to be there for the Patriots, but if he is and they take Andrew Boot Jr., uh, that is a absolute home run slam dunk type of draft pick and putting him with JC Jackson would be all sorts of fun. I mean, that would just be an con- incredible uh, duo. I don't think he'll be there. The consensus board has him on uh, 19th, I think it is, somewhere around 17th. there. They actually updated uh, it today, 17th. 17th, yeah. I mean, I'm sure so he's moving if, up. Yeah, if he works out at the combine, he's going to absolutely kill the combine, too. I mean, look, we talk about this all the time, though. There has to be somebody that falls, right? Not everybody right. can get drafted in the first 20 picks. So, Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you who's going to fall. It's going to be the quarterbacks. Right. Well, that's not great for the Patriots. Yeah, right. That doesn't help the Patriots. Like, So the consensus board right now has Kenny Pickett in the top 20, which maybe They also have Matt Corral in the top 20, which absolutely not. Or somebody should be fired. Well... Uh, man, Jordan Davis and Andrew Boot Jr., either one of those guys, so far, I, I grade on a scale of zero to eight, Alex. Seven yeah. is all pro potential. I got two sevens so far right now, and, and it's Andrew Boot Jr. and Jordan Davis. Right, you so ever given anybody an eight? I've never given anybody an eight. I think the highest grade I ever gave anybody, I'm trying to think uh, who it was. I'd have to go back and check. I'll, I'll have that answer for you next time. So you, wait, you do zero to eight or two to eight? I, I mean, like, I never actually given anybody a zero. So I guess it's well, probably more like four and a half to eight because that's four to like four and a half for me is like fringe roster player camp invite. Yeah. Type. yeah. So, so it's just funny because the baseball, the, the universal baseball scouting scale is 20 to 80. Yeah. And it, nobody, nobody ever gets below a 40, but it's, it's right. you know, I get a 20, right. But it's, it's 20 to 80. Yeah. Anyway. So man. All right. Well, uh, any other questions you guys have? We've covered, we covered a decent There was one round. more I wanted to get to. Okay, what is it? Matt Areza, fifth round, baby. Oh, my and God. They're going to have to trade for that pick. But Matt Areza, I'll, here's the stat. Here's the stat. Like, Has a punter Bay- ever been traded? Talking about Jake Bailey. Has a punter ever been traded? No, which is what we talked about last time with Ryan Allen. But yeah. here's the interesting stat to know. Do you know the last time a punter played for the Patriots under a second contract, a second consecutive contract? I like where this is going. Rich Camarillo, Rich Camarillo or Camarillo in the mid 80s. 
So this this predates Bill significantly. The Patriots have not, the only punter to play under two contracts was Ken Walter, and it was two separate stints. They got rid of him, somebody yeah. got hurt, they brought him back. Ryan Allen got a second contract the year they drafted Jake Bailey, but then they drafted Bailey and didn't make the team. Right. Bailey's got, it's essentially no dead money in his deal. It's less than $100,000. He's in the last year of his deal. It's under $100,000 in dead money. He didn't have a great year last year, and they never, ever, ever give punters a second contract. You factor into all that, the fact that the greatest punting prospect since Ray Guy is in this draft, they're taking Matareza. I think fifth round because that's when Bill loves to so They don't currently have a fifth round pick. Right, they're going to have to trade. But that yeah. also feeds into my building suspicion that it really feels like they're moving down from 20. Okay, so this was I don't the, think they make a first round the last question, year. last one will be a quick one. Yeah. I wanted to bring up this question. Well, I want to know your out. late round draft crushes. No, no, not but, yet. Not yet. Okay. The optics of Bill Belichick or the potential, I should say, of yeah. Bill Belichick trading out of the first round because you and I have talked about this a lot off the air. I think it's a really, really good possibility that they do it because I, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, there's probably 20 guys in the first round that I think are immediate instant impact elite level prospects. And this is true for most drafts and the Patriots are unfortunately sitting there right at 21. They're right outside yeah. of that window. So unless somebody jumps up in the top 20 picks that we're not expecting or if more quarterbacks go than everybody's expecting, then trading I think as we've talked about prospects 20 through 50 are probably the same player more or less right. in terms of like where you're grading them on the scale. So Adding another pick on day two to trade back, I, I don't think is a terrible idea this time around because is Trevor Penning uh, that much better than Raymond or Kennard or, or one of these exactly. other tackle prospects? Is Roger McCreary that much better than Kobe Bryant, right? You know, there, there's a right. lot of these kind of conversations that you can have. Even at wide receiver, is a guy, uh, you know, like a John Mechie or or uh, somebody like that that much better than somebody a, f a few spots back. It, it's Jahan Dotson, Wando Robinson. Right, right. Yeah, that's probably a better one, like Jahan Dotson, right? So, uh, yeah, I think that this is definitely a, a potential trade-back draft for the Patriots. By the way, I just checked. They'd save $3.5 million if they cut Jake Bailey. Oh, that's not nothing. Okay. Right. And then the, the new – or sorry, they'd save four – and then a, a punter taken in the fourth, fifth, sixth round is probably going to have about a five hundred thousand dollar cap hit. So right. it would net out to saving about three and a half million for a generational punter who can also, by the way, set the conference record for the most fifty-plus yard field goals made in a season. You even can't deny Evan that that makes a ton of sense. I know no, you don't want to get into the special teams minutia, but no, you can't I, deny I like that makes sense. Can you can you talk about the trading out of the first round? I, all right, get off the punters here. No, you you covered it. You covered it. I think that I don't know that there's a prospect at 21 unless Jordan Davis falls or Andrew Booth falls. Right. I don't know that you know there's a punter that people are. are <laughs> I don't know that there's a player that they're going to be so like you have to take in this spot again. I you know, like you just said, Penning Canard. Is it worth picking up? You trade out of that spot, you can probably get a second round pick in 2022. So you pick up an extra second and then a first or maybe a high second in 2023. Right. And I just think that value is going to be too good for them to take anybody in that spot based on who likely 
will be on the board. So yeah, I'm really, and again, like you mentioned, they don't have that fifth round pick. They don't really have a ton of picks in the later rounds. They traded one for Trent Brown. I think they lost one is from the Isaiah Ford trade last year or whatever. It was some random trade for some guy who never played. Uh, might've been Michael Jackson. Um, but yeah, they, they, they don't have the depth picks. They're not going to get the comp picks this year that they'd usually get because they signed all those free agents. So I think this is definitely the year where they trade down, accumulate picks for this draft and next draft. Um, I'm, I'm, the more I think about it, the more I think they're not picking at 21. And we will reflect that in our mocks, hopefully. Yeah, so I wanted to go back uh, to the 2020 draft where they traded out at 23, yeah. which is virtually the same thing, right? We're talking about a right. two-slot difference here. They traded back. They draft Kyle Duggar at 37. They got 37 and 71 from the chargers for 23 and this kind of draft where there's really good depth and good talent and value on day two at wide receiver at linebacker. Uh, I would also say at tackle, you know, there, I think there's some guys in that, that 37 to 70 range uh, that you could scoop up at, at those points in the draft that maybe the guy at 21, like we're saying is not, actually that much better than the guy that you're right. taking at 37 in this type of draft. So, so I don't do you hate wanna, it. I don't hate do it. Do you want a hypothetical? Like yeah. Do you want a hypothetical here? Cause this is what I'm looking at. Let's say Denver Broncos. Cause that's a team that maybe moves up. One of these quarterbacks falls. They need a quarterback, right? So based yeah. on the trade chart, you could get, let me just make sure I have my numbers right here. I do. You can get the 40th pick the, where'd they just go? Somewhere around 100, like right right outside of the top 100. You can yeah. get 40. Oh, there it is. You can get 40, 106 in Denver's second round pick next year for 21. And look, you don't get an extra first there, but you now make two seconds this year, two seconds next year. I don't hate that trade. I don't hate yeah. it. Maybe you try to figure out a way that you can swing a first next year. Um, but although then again, teams generally have to over. Let me re rephrase that, actually. Teams generally have to overpay to trade in the first round, right? Right. So let's 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 just say that. Like maybe you rip off Denver. You get 40, you get 106, and you get a first round next year. I think I, that's a great deal. So I think would that's you, a great deal. Would you, and then pick, would you rather do that or would you rather get the extra picks on day two this year? That that see, because to me, I look, you what the Patriots. Well, no, you're getting two extra picks. So then you're pick you're you're picking 40 and 54 in the second round. And you're getting the first round from them next year. That's yeah. a lot. Is That's that it. That's the whole thing. You're getting two picks. Okay. All right. I like that's that. That's been the price of doing business. It. That's that's been the price of doing right. business. If that if again we're yes, we're, and then at 106 you take you take Matareza. Sorry. Right. Again, this is what we're talking about. If some of these great prospects that we've talked about a lot already do not fall to you at 21. Cause I think yeah. item number one on the Patriots list has to be getting blue chip talent. They don't have enough of it. They just don't have enough explosive elite level blue chip talent on offense or on defense. So to trade out at 21, when a guy like Andrew boot jr or a guy like Jordan Davis or one of the top four receivers are sitting there on the board is that that's too rich for me. But if one of those guys, all those guys are gone by some chance or whatever. Yeah. That's when you start to entertain these conversations. All right. Late round draft crush. Go ahead. Not bad. Ariza. You got to pick somebody else. Um, oh, uh, you go real quick. Let me look at my list here. I'm trying to, I'm trying to narrow. Okay. It down. You know what? No, I got, I've got mine. I've got mine. Okay. Um, I got mine too. I like right. Bo Melton. I like him. 
I All like right. I was going to say Bo Melton, but yes, I love this. No, Bo don't Melton. take Bo Melton. No, All no, right? you, no, I like that you're into a guy that I brought to you. You, I want to yes. hear what you have to say about Bo Melton. I like Bo Melton. He reminds me, uh, he, is, is it wrong to say he's a little Isaiah McKenzie-ish, right? Like, he's I not think that's Kill. totally fair. He's not Tyreek Hill, obviously. No. Okay, but he does bring some of that gadget, horizontal stretch ability to his game, which I, I kind of like. I don't know. I think that that's a player that they can put in the offense and have a package for that guy. I don't know if Bo Melton's ever going to develop into a guy that plays 75, 80, 90% of the snaps for you. But as a gadget, the Swiss army knife type player, ball carrier, I I think I like that. And he's a Rutgers guy. We know that they're going to pull from Greg Schiano eventually. So he's a good returner too, by the way, good kick returner. Yeah. Good kick returner. Uh, You mentioned this yesterday. I was absolutely stunned and shocked to hear that Alex Barth would actually be willing to move on. I said I could see I said I could see them doing willing to move on from Gunner. If they take a guy like Bo Melton, Uh, I think that Bo Melton's an upgrade certainly uh, from Gunner, Uh, probably like their McKenzie. I I don't think that that's a terrible comparison. All right. So you went with the fun gadget player. I'm actually going to go with a, with an offensive lineman, believe it or not. Wow. We have Um, reversal here. Yeah, I like uh, – oh, who do I go? So, Cade Mays from Tennessee, Chris Paul from Tulsa. I think I've talked about Chris Paul on the podcast before. So, I'll go with Cade yeah. Mays. Uh, he's a guy who's transferred twice. They've historically liked guys who transfer. He was at Penn State. Now he's at Tennessee. I forget his first school. Um, five-spot player. He's played all five positions on the offensive line. I just think, you know, you saw how valuable a guy like Ted Karras became. Um, how valuable – you know, they and they – you know, these guys are going to play multiple spots – just the, the really technically sound, smart prospects. Um, you know, they took one last year in William Sherman. They generally gravitate towards these guys. So I like Cade Mays. Oh, I should have gone with James Beatty, actually, running back from Missouri, who could be the next James White, um, is another one I really like, I guess. And then on the defensive side of the ball, Tariq Woolen. I know, I have to do both sides of the ball. Tariq Woolen, UTSA, 6'4 corner, that's supposed to be able to run a 4'3", former wide receiver. Again, super raw. But I like I like their ability to coach up a corner. I think he his his you want to talk about potential. You want to talk about ceiling. Uh, uh, Tariq Woolen has ceiling, and he may have it yeah. more than any other player in his draft. So there you go. Yeah, I like the idea of Tariq Woolen uh, on day three, right? Four, we're doing yeah, we're doing late rounds. rounds. We're doing late rounds. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that so much more than like reaching on the Juwan Williams pick in the second round, yeah. right? Just give me somebody that's athletic, that's raw, but at least he's got the athleticism to work with and that baseline foundation. Okay. Uh, last but not least, I can't find the question. It's way back a little bit. Okay. You watching Mac tonight in the skill competition? You excited? See if accuracy throwing? I don't think they're doing distance. I don't think that that would be something Mac would even sign up for, but uh accuracy competition tonight at the pro bowl and your quarterback pro bowl quarterback mac <laughs> jones is participating alex barth are you watching i guess i have to right you kind of have to yeah i haven't had a night off in like weeks okay. yeah i'll watch exa- i love mac it's, it's, it's not exactly like hard hard work alex you know i want to watch king of the hill and play xbox well which ironically i'm going to play as mac jones in madden but whatever <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll watch a little bit of Mac in the accuracy. Yeah. Mac accuracy. Yeah, I like that. Accuracy. Accuracy. Yeah. Yep. All right. We'll see what he does. Um. Anyways, uh, you can come back, and if you have questions for us and other prospects we didn't get to, 
Come on back. We try to get to as many as we could. We'll keep I think we going. have to talk about Cameron Thomas on Thursday. Yeah, we'll talk about Cameron Thomas. All right, uh, Daniel, come back. We'll talk about Cameron Thomas. I just can't stomach them taking an edge defender that early in the draft with all the depth and all the players that they have there. They're not going to play uh if they're not going to play Chase Winovich, they're not going to play Ronnie Perkins, then what are we doing drafting a guy like Cam Thomas? But we'll get to guys like that uh, later on, and we'll uh, discuss all the draft prospects that we can possibly get to over the next couple of months. So we'll see you guys on Tuesday, and we will do a little bit more of this type of uh, open Q&A format because next Thursday we got Trags coming on the pod, Mr. Cincinnati Bengals himself, to talk about Joe Burrow, who he thinks is Tom Brady 2.0, and discuss the Super Bowl Rams That'll be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Yes. That'll be the first time the three of us are on air together since the day after the Titans loss. Yeah. January, 2020. That is the last time we were on. That's crazy to think about. I know it it feels like a lifetime ago with everything that's happened in the world. So we will be back on Tuesday to discuss. uh, We'll do another one of these Q and a format uh, draft prospect shows and then like i mentioned on thursday we'll preview the super bowl at trags so until then signing off for alex barth i'm evan lazar thanks for watching everybody and we'll see you guys tuesday